0: One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do
1: more with Viator. From the Alexa in your kitchen to the smart TV in the bedroom, you've got smart devices peppered all over the house. So wouldn't it make sense to place the best tech in every part of your home? The Numi 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet to date, with a sculptural design that elevates it beyond a household object. With advanced technology to bring you the finest in personal comfort and cleansing, it offers personalized setting, from ambient color lighting and built-in audio speaker system to a heated seat with hands-free opening and closing. It's more than a toilet. It's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com.
2: Justin Trudeau. He's the Canadian Prime Minister and has sold himself as this model of good government. He's a liberal, he's tolerant, he's ethical, and I mean, let's face it, he's pretty good looking too. But this whole Camelot image has fallen apart in 2019 as Trudeau's government has gotten mired in a nasty corruption scandal, one that may very well go all the way to the top. And that's what we're going to talk about today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Beacham, here as always with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hi. Hello. So, in the second half of this episode, the three of us are going to take some of the really interesting questions we've gotten from our listeners on Brexit, a theme we've been hitting a lot on the show. But first, we're going to talk about the scandal in Canada. Jen, this all starts with a company called SNC Lavalin, right?
3: Yeah. So, I pronounce it SNC Lavalin. It's a company in Quebec. I'm of French Canadian descent, and my grandmother, who only spoke Canadian French for the first like five years of her life would kill me if I didn't pronounce this properly. Whatever,
2: I took Spanish and Hebrew in school there and I you feel go. I feel like that's enough.
3: So either way, Lavalin, Lavalin.
2: I thought way. it was Lava Lamp. <laughs>
3: so also that. So basically, however you want to call it, SNC Lavalin is this big company in Quebec and Canada. They directly employ like 9,000 people in Canada. And they do like construction engineering type things. It's like this huge firm, including like lots of projects for the federal government in Canada. So they did a bad thing.
4: Yeah, the company wanted to do a lot of construction projects in Libya in the, you know, 2000s. And it looks like they bribed some officials in order to get the contracts. That's usually pretty bad because you want to be able to compete for these contracts pretty fairly. And also you don't really just pay for these deals. It's quite illegal and not very cool.
2: The real trouble with the scandal kicks off last year even though the wrongdoing was well in the past, when SNC-Lavalin is pushing for something called a deferred prosecution agreement. Basically, what they want is for the Canadian government to not criminally convict them, but ask them to pay a big fine. This would allow them to avoid the punishment, which is in part no more government contracts for 10 years, which would be devastating to their business in Quebec and their business in general. The question is, should they get... One of these special agreements, which no company had ever gotten in Canada before. In fact, it wasn't even a thing that anyone had thought about doing in Canada until last year. So they wanted special treatment. And there's one person who had the decision and the power to decide whether or not they should do it.
3: And that was not Justin Trudeau, right?
2: Yes, that's right. It was the Canadian Justice Minister who also has the powers of the Attorney General. Her name is Jody Wilson-Raybould.
4: So a little bit of context on who she is. So she's a well-known Indigenous leader, and that's actually a pretty big deal in Canada due to the years of tensions between the Indigenous community and and other Canadians. Oppression
3: of of the Indigenous people by the Canadians. No, exactly right. Right.
4: And so one of Trudeau's big things when he came into power was to create this cabinet that was supposed to be diverse in terms of gender equality, in terms of uh, representation. And Wilson-Raybould is a top legal mind. I mean, she's eminently qualified for the position, and so she was a perfect fit and became quite a big member of the cabinet early on.
3: Right, and again, she gets to decide whether or not SNC-Lavalin gets criminal charges or these lighter charges, this deal where they can just pay a fine or get rid of some executives. But Trudeau's government is like— Hey, Jody, we really, really like for you to choose the lighter charges option. And that's where things get really screwy. SNC-Lavalin employs a ton of people specifically in Quebec who vote in Canadian elections. And SNC-Lavalin is, like, threatening to leave and take those jobs elsewhere. And Trudeau and his government really want the Quebec vote in the election. That's where we get into these allegations that Trudeau himself may have nod, nod, wink, wink to Jody personally and said, hey, what if we just considered these jobs when you're making this decision?
2: This is how it turns into a scandal, right? Because in the middle of these deliberations surrounding SNC-Lavalin, Wilson-Raybould gets demoted. She gets moved from justice minister to minister covering veterans affairs, which, while an important post, is generally considered less powerful and less significant in the Canadian government. And then later on, after news of the pressure surrounding SNC-Lavalin and the Deferred Prosecution Agreement breaks, the Canadian paper Globe and Mail broke it, she quit in protest, claiming inappropriate pressure from the government. And this is what sets off the massive public debate in Canada in February surrounding this.
4: Wilson-Raybould testifies about all this. And what she talks about is that a clerk and actually the prime minister himself made the case to her that she should cut this company some slack.
3: Quote, again, They will likely be moving to London if this happens, and there is an election in Quebec soon. End quote. At that point, the prime minister jumped in, stressing that there is an election in Quebec. I was quite taken aback. My response, and I vividly remember this as well, was to ask the prime minister a direct question while looking him in the eye. I asked, quote, are you politically interfering with my role, my decision as the attorney general? I would strongly advise against it, end quote. The prime minister said, no, 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 we just need to find a solution. Jody Wilson-Raybould speaking there, describing this interaction she says happened with Trudeau and this clerk, and she's like, look, I asked him point blank, if you're trying to politically interfere, that's not okay, I would strongly advise you stop what you're doing right now. And Trudeau kind of like, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. I would never do that. I'm just saying we need to find a solution.
2: Now, to be clear, we don't know if her narrative of what happened is entirely accurate. For instance, the top aide to Prime Minister Trudeau, a man named Gerald Butts, resigned in addition to Wilson-Raybould, but he went and testified and he asserted that her demotion had nothing to do with the scandal that it had no there was no undue pressure from the government that it was all Reasonable and consistent with the government's push to preserve Canadian jobs. Yeah, and and that it
3: wasn't like a a demotion. It was just a normal cabinet shuffle, right? Like, I'm just moving some folks around. She wasn't demoted for not wanting to do what we thought she should do. And
2: he said this even after quitting. So it's not like he was just trying to hold on to his job. The facts of the situation are still unsettled. We don't know who's telling the truth, but we do know that it is roiling Canadian politics right now with potentially really wide-ranging – consequences for what happens there.
4: When Trudeau came into power, his entire image was, I'm a squeaky clean guy, right? I'm all about transparency, I'm all about openness, I'm all about inclusivity, I'm all about, you know, making sure we do the ethical thing. And this goes completely against that, right? I mean, it goes to the core of who he, as a leader, is. And so there's no question, right, that whether or not, again, as we said, we don't know exactly what's true, like, this is a scandal that is gonna mess with him for quite some time. During a press conference just before we started taping, he denied the allegations again and and basically said, like, I can do better, but this is still the kind of way I want to run a government is transparent and open and and have these kinds of dialogues. But, man, unless they come out with some sort of way to show that they weren't putting some undue pressure on Wilson Rabel, it's going to look bad for him For a while, and that's not great with you know
2: elections coming up. Well, they're in October, right? And so in in political time, at least in US political time, that's light years away. (laughs) That's Aeons away. And so we have no idea, and the Canadian experts I've spoken to don't know either how this is going to end up affecting the elections. But we do know that the conservatives, the lead opposition party, are showing their best poll numbers basically ever against Trudeau, since Mm. he's been relatively popular.
3: You know, so uh, we watched this press conference, like you said, right before we started taping. Trudeau walks out, and he's very, like, calm, and he's very, like, reasonable. People are asking questions. He keeps saying, look, not—I didn't do anything wrong, of course, but if I did, right, all I was doing was for jobs, right? Like, I was elected to defend the interests of the people I represent. I think that sounds reasonable, right? Like, if I'm just imagining I'm, like, average Joe Canada, right, which I'm sure is the thing— And I'm watching that—do I care more about, like, institutional norms and corruption, or do I care more about this guy who tried to just kind of step in and make sure I didn't lose my job?
2: I don't know. I I, I legitimately don't know what happens. I mean, the polling numbers right now suggest that it's a problem for his core constituency. But it it also—like, this whole scandal, like, given that the government has, like, a not unreasonable line to defend and to toe on the situation, shows— To me, anyway, a political system that's working pretty well, right? I read a very good article by a Canadian political scientist about this who made the case that, look, right, this is a situation where the prime minister couldn't force, even if he wanted to, the attorney general to make a decision that she thought was not acceptable. That the scandal was exposed by the press and the government has come in for criticism from members of its own party and from the opposition, and no one is saying that it would be okay for him to politically interfere with the prosecution. Like, when you compare this— to what's going on in the United States, to what the Trump administration does daily in terms of corruption and the degree of defensiveness you see from his own party and his own cabinet, who often engages in the same kind of misbehavior. Like, it's light years of difference.
3: Right. We were all talking about this. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that struck us as, like, Americans watching this. I was like, wait, this is the scandal that's roiling politics? And, like, in normal times in America, it would have as well.
4: My ability to sense how big a deal this is like in the grand scheme of corruption is so off now right like when i heard this i was like that seems okay like in a weird way like right you're trying to protect jobs and at least or at least when you're considering the what to do about this you have a pretty big economic decision to consider, but like, I guess it's, I, I guess it's
2: bad. Well, look, I, look, I don't want to minimize it. Right, a, a politician and a leader of a country interfering with the workings of justice. Right, and saying you should not prosecute a political ally or an important, you know, source of jobs, that that is corrupt. Right, I think that, and that's no why this has really damaged Trudeau's image. And I don't want to make it seem like we're saying, oh, that's not a big deal because right. of Trump. Because if Trump did the same thing, it would, it would be bad. It's just to emphasize that in a democracy that is functioning properly, this kind of scandal gets exposed, it gets talked about, it damages the governing party, and it damages the leaders standing within their own party. And As that, it should. Yeah, and, and that's what's happening in Canada. So after the break, we're going to talk about a situation that is undeniably disastrous
0: When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24 seven service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over
1: 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. We all need an upgrade every once in a while. Whether it's that outdated car in your garage, Or that cell phone that you bought over three years ago. It's good to have the best technology around. And great news, because now you can have the most advanced technology in the privacy of your own home. The NUMI 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet to date, with a sculptural design that elevates it beyond a household object. The smart toilet combines unmatched aesthetics with cutting-edge technology to bring you the finest in personal comfort and cleansing. It offers personalized settings that let you fine-tune every option to your exact preferences. From ambient colored lighting and a built-in audio speaker system to the heated seat with hands-free opening and closing. Plus, the NUMI 2.0 comes equipped with Power Saver Mode for energy efficiency and emergency flush for power outages, so you don't have to worry about wasted energy. Connecting you to an oasis of cleanliness and comfort, the NUMI 2.0 can revolutionize your bathroom, making it more than a toilet. It's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com.
2: A few weeks ago, we asked all of you for questions about Brexit, and we got so many interesting responses from people all over the world who wanted to know what the hell was going on in the UK, and your questions are super insightful, and we really appreciate and love our listeners. You guys are the best. We're going to try to tackle a lot of your questions in the coming weeks. We won't be able to get to all of them because of the sheer volume, but today we're going to start with two big genres of questions, things that got asked over and over again. One of them was about what Brexit actually means for people living in the UK, and the second was about the politics surrounding it and and how politicians are handling it. Let's start with the first one, right? Consequences.
3: So a lot of listeners, including Owen Howard and Austin Allaire, wondered about what will actually happen if there's a no-deal Brexit, the, the case where the UK crashes out of the EU without any deal being in place. Owen, in particular, asked us, quote, Could you give a more specific list of top three to 10 issues that will come from a no-deal Brexit?
4: Well, the big one, and and to be specific, I guess, is that a lot of the laws that the the UK had that were in relation to the EU are gone, right? That they no longer exist because they don't have the deal going forward. And so this means that the laws that govern air travel, food imports, medicine imports, all these kinds of things, like that goes away and everyone is quite literally— Without any guidelines as to how to provide these kinds of necessary services to the public.
2: So to answer Owen's question, we need to be specific about what that means, right? And so in terms of air travel, Mm -hmm. that means that without a regulatory code, it's not clear whether you can fly in or out of the UK. It could be that flights are grounded the day after no deal Brexit happens. And so you can't get in, you can't get out. And the country—that that means the country's economy and, and lots of different parts about it are ground to a halt, right? And it's not just that, right? Medicine imports, the regulation covering the distribution and the acquisition of key pharmaceuticals, no longer function. And people are anticipating shortages of medicines.
3: Immigration and citizenship. EU citizens, so citizens from other EU countries, have been living and working in the UK because that's kind of part of the deal of being in the EU— You get to move around without having to show your passport, without having to apply for residency and all of that lengthy stuff you would do if you just moved to any other foreign country. All of a sudden, like if there's no deal overnight, those people who both are from the EU living and working in the UK, and vice versa. People from the UK who are living and working in other EU countries suddenly don't know if they're legally in those places or if they're allowed to go to work without. Violating some law. Those are like tangible consequences of what could happen overnight.
2: And and there's there's even more chaos, right? right? For example, uh, Europol, the pan-European policing organization, it's unclear how Britain can cooperate with them or work with them after that. British truck drivers, they need EU permits which they will no longer have as no longer EU members. So British exports will be totally screwed going into the continent, right? It's just the the sheer number of things. Other
3: professional the, licenses, yeah. like yeah. doctors. We've talked yep. about this on the show before, like surgeons who have to be accredited, right? Like you can't just show up someday and go, hey, I'm a doctor. Oh, sounds great. We trust you. Like you have to show that you are accredited. Well, what if you were accredited in another EU country? And not the UK. Well, suddenly the UK is not in the EU. So does your license to continue practicing medicine expire overnight? Kinda. We don't know. So like... Are you scheduling surgery for next Thursday? I don't know. Not sure if I'm going to be allowed to practice medicine.
4: And and we can go on and on with this. I mean, we, we know, for example, that that farms are going to be hit because of the no more access to the single market. You know, tariffs come back up. That makes it hard for them to export to their to their biggest customers. And so it's it's not really uh, a stretch to say that the way you are kept safe, the way you live, you know, all all of that is really what's what's at stake here with a no-deal Brexit.
2: We also heard from some listeners who were personally impacted by the uncertainty. George C., for instance, wrote to tell us that, quote, I am a Greek citizen and had planned to move to the UK for one to two years to work, travel, and experience life in the UK. I held off to wait for a decision from all this Brexit talk, but there has been so much cloudy confusion and no action that I ended up wasting two years of my life. I should have just gone when originally planned.
3: And there was Carlyann, who wrote to us, quote, I am an international master's student from the U.S. I have wanted to do my Ph.D. in Britain as well, but this does not seem like it will be possible for international students after Brexit, so I'm no longer applying. I am hoping someone can shed light on the impact that international students may feel after Brexit. I want to be optimistic and invest in my future here, but even my British peers are planning to leave the U.K. for their work or Ph.D., so I feel less hope.
4: Yeah, I mean, sadly... You know, we really don't know what comes next and, and how to answer these, but what these stories do highlight are just the sense of frustration and, and, frankly, hopelessness and what could potentially be a longer issue for the UK down the line of surely smart folks like George and Carly Ann not contributing to the, to the British society and, and, and being able to advance their careers there and and live and, and work there and, and maybe make that country better. I mean, I don't doubt that there are stories like George's and Carly Ann's all throughout, that make this not only just a massive political mess, but really at its core, a huge personal catastrophe.
2: And and so this, this whole level of uncertainty and likely chaos from a no deal led a lot of you to ask, uh, why can't they get out of this? Right, so the, the question was raised by, among others, Margaret Montgomery, Clifton Hall, Nick Vukic, and Seamus McLean. Seamus asked, why won't they just have a second vote? The first vote wasn't binding, was it? Well, Seamus, that is correct. It was not binding. And they are just stubbornly pursuing this reckless and extremely dangerous crashing out of the EU. Now, the core reason why they weren't going to have a second referendum was that neither political party wanted it. But that changed in late February when labor leader Jeremy Corbyn reversed his long-held position and came out in favor of a second referendum.
3: I very clearly remember Jeremy Corbyn being against holding a second referendum and a lot of people on the left and in the Labor Party being really, really pissed off about that. Why did he change his mind all of a sudden?
2: Well, um, first, it, we should be clear, Corbyn didn't do this out of personal conviction, right? He's a longtime Euroskeptic and one of a, a, a relatively small number of Labor members who doesn't like the EU on left grounds. But he flipped basically because of political pressure. A number of Labor... MPs left the party and formed a new party called the Independent Group that supported a second referendum, and Corbyn seemed to be afraid of future defections from pro-EU labor members, and so he he reversed his position on the second referendum in order to prevent, to stanch the bleeding, essentially, and prevent the party from falling apart.
3: So that still doesn't mean they're going to actually have a second referendum, though, right, just because Jeremy Corbyn changed his mind.
4: I'll reiterate a point I made in a previous episode that I know Zach and I have disagreed on, which is— as much as I want <laughs> Brexit to reverse itself and make sure that this is not happening, a second referendum to me seems extremely problematic. They already voted on this thing, and I get it that there was misinformation and, and the voters were lied to, but like that's the same in every election, right? People are always lied to about what leaders are gonna do and what is politically possible. And so it just seems as horrible as it is that like it is kind, it is anti-democratic in a sense to hold this second referendum and try to reverse a politically disastrous decision. And now here's Zach to disagree with you. Yeah, the this light.
2: makes no sense whatsoever, Alex. I'm sorry, but it doesn't make any sense. Um, it's That's like saying repealing a law in the past because you have to vote again and people already voted on it is anti-democratic, right? You saw the consequences of the law. In this case, you saw the consequences of the Brexit vote and where it would put the EU, and voters may have changed their minds, and they want a determination on what is fundamentally different from what they were voting on to begin with, not to mention that the referendum was non-binding. And if it's non-binding, it's even less problematic than voting to repeal law in the past. And look, it's not going to happen, a second referendum, immediately because the conservatives don't want it to happen, and they control parliament.
3: And I also should note that the Brexit vote was really close, the initial referendum. And there are a lot of people who do still want Brexit for good or ill. Like, they voted for this, and they're like, look, I just want to see it done, including, like you said, Zach – most of the conservative party.
4: It hasn't been delivered yet. So a part of me is way more sympathetic to sort of a, hey, can we not do this anymore after it's happened?
2: Well, there are still obviously a lot of uncertainties surrounding the situation, and the political reality seem to constantly change. So we can't really be sure what's going to happen in the run-up to the March 29th deadline. We just know that the clock is ticking for the UK economy and British society. And so what happens in the next few weeks will determine what happens for the next— many, many years. Because when
4: does Brexit kick in?
2: March 29th. Whew. Anyway, we'll keep covering it. Uh, as you we said, we're going to get to as many of your questions as we can. I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, for not only responding to most of your questions, but collating them in a way that allows us to like really see what you guys are interested in. Also, uh, the
3: master of social media, Lauren Katz, who has really helped us out.
2: And I want to encourage you to, to keep talking to us at our worldly at email. And one last note. We're conducting an audience survey to better serve you. It takes no more than five minutes, and it would be really, really useful for the show. Please take our survey at voxmedia.com podsurvey. Again, that's voxmedia.com podsurvey.
1: When you surround yourself with the best tech, that's an instant level up. So shouldn't you level up in every room of your house? The NUMI 2.0 is Kohler's most advanced toilet to date, with a sculptural design that elevates it beyond a household object and cutting-edge technology to bring you the finest in personal comfort and cleansing. It offers personalized settings to match your exact preferences, from ambient-colored lighting and a built-in audio speaker system to the heated seat with hands-free opening and closing. It's more than a toilet. It's a work of art. Learn more at Kohler.com.